Let's have a word of prayer together before we get into our message for today. So if you can, let's bow our heads and our hearts together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and worship thee in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the many wonderful blessings that you've poured out upon us. You've given us homes and uh, shelter and food and, and clothing, all the necessities that we need. And uh, you take care of us and protect us. You send angels to watch over us. We thank you so much for that. Father, we thank you especially for Jesus, who you sent here, and he willingly came to become like one of us. And he showed us the righteous way to walk and to live, and, and that it may give us hope that we may be overcomers, uh, that we can live a life uh, without sin. And he took our sins upon himself and died at Calvary so that we may have, we may have the opportunity uh, to live forever, the opportunity to be a member of the family again. So, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We pray, Father, that you will forgive us for our sins. So we claim that blood that Jesus shed there. And Father, we have many people on our, our prayer lists. And we pray that you will bless each one, that you will heal those who are ailing and uh, uh, those who are going through hard times. Father, we thank you so much for caring even about, about the littlest of things. And Father, I pray that you give me the words to speak now. We're looking at what your word has to say about who and what the church is, its importance. Uh, we want to be in the right church. So I pray that you bring thoughts to my mind that you wish conveyed to to the people and that they may be your words and not my own, not my opinion. May they be the truth. So be with those who will hear these things, uh, soften the hearts to be receptive of the truth. And then may we, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Make the changes needed uh, for our walk to be a holy influence among those around us. I thank you so much for hearing this prayer, for I ask it in the name of Jesus, who is so worthy, Father. Amen. Well, I have entitled uh, this message, Stand Fast. Stand fast. Uh, in this series concerning the true church, uh, we've come to find ten primary characteristics described in the Word of God. There are more attributes in Scripture, of course, friends, but these are the most prominent characteristics of the true church of God, and, and all others, they tend to build upon these, or uh, maybe I can say they fall within these ten traits, kind of like a hand fits into a glove. As a refresher, these ten characteristics or traits are, and I'll run down them right, right here for a moment. First, it will have the nature of Christ. And what I mean by that is it, it will be humanity, be made up of people who are, are uh, born-again believers. They're a, hum, a combination of humanity and divinity uh, being born again. Uh, the church is a spiritual house uh, with Christ as the head. He's the cornerstone. He is the head of the church. The third thing 
third trait is that it will be of the spiritual seed of Abraham, not of the fleshly seed of Ishmael. In other words, uh, they're going to be a covenant-keeping people. And these play into each other, uh, these character traits as well. Uh, So it will be made up of the spiritual seed of Abraham, not the literal line, you see. Uh, that uh, old Israel was, but it will be the spiritual seed, those who are of faith. We'll get to in just a moment. Which means that they'll be a covenant-keeping people. And and the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, is a sign of that covenant. The fourth character trait is that the the true church is a light that leads the way to the the head of the church, which is Christ. It's a light to the world. Uh, The fifth trait is that it will have the gifts and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this includes the testimony of Jesus, which the Bible tells us in Revelation 19, is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, And so it will have the gifts and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which includes the spirit of prophecy. The sixth character trait is that it will stand upon the foundation of truth, and especially present truth. And our present truth at this time is the three angels' messages that we find in Revelation chapter 14. And, and this is what I'll be speaking to, is this sixth character trait. I'll be speaking about this in just a few moments. That it will stand upon the foundation of truth. The seventh character trait is that it will have the faith of Jesus, or righteousness by faith. It will have a, a correct understanding of what that is, and and uh, the members of that this church of God, this true church, will... Uh, um, will understand and be overcomers by faith, which is righteousness by faith. The eighth characteristic is that they will keep the law of God. That plays right into righteousness by faith as well. And uh, by that, all of the Ten Commandments, which again goes back to the spiritual seed of Abraham, keeping the covenant, or the, the correct Sabbath. Not the first day of the week, but the seventh day, as the Bible lays out. The ninth character uh, trait is that it will be a vibrant and living uh, church of Christ. It's going to be made up of people who are living in Jesus. A true fellowship of believers. And the tenth trait is that they will have godly love and unity. These are the the characteristics of the true church of God. And, And they build upon each other. They overlap each other in some areas, as as we've learned as we go through these. You'll you'll see this. So, uh, beloved, if you were to study these characteristics, and you take this, and this is why we're studying this, uh, so that we will discern if whether we're in the true church or not. Um, but if you take these characteristics and you compare them to the religious organizations that are scattered all over the world, uh, you would then be able to discern who were really God's people and who weren't really God's people by Bible definition, see? And that's why we we go by the Bible, see? Now again, I say organizations because the Bible is quite clear that God is not the author of confusion, and He is a God of order, and His people will be organized. And we'll get to uh, the study of proper gospel order, proper organization, Uh, in the future here, and we get through with the definitions of the church. But right now, these people are scattered all over the world, and there is some organization, but nothing like it will be before Jesus returns. Remember, there are only two churches in this great controversy. 
the Church of Christ, and the Church of Antichrist. And like I said, we'll get into proper biblical uh, organization toward the end of this series, because not only is there a misconception, uh, beloved, as to who and what God's church is, but also what proper gospel order is. Or when I, when I say gospel order, I'm, I'm describing organization, God's organization, and the characteristics and how God organizes and wants His people or, organized, the proper principles for that. But I want to make it clear uh, that God wants us to discern who are His called out ones so we may join with them in doing His will and reaching lost souls and bringing them to Jesus. See, this has been the will of God since the fall of man to call those who are in sin out of the synagogue of Satan and into the fold of God where there is a forgiveness and there is uh, strength to overcome sin and the devil. It is what the, actually the closing work of the three angels' messages, uh, again found in Revelation 14, is all about. Calling his scattered people out of Babylon and into the fold of God. Into his remnant church. And we want to know what the Bible says about uh, God's church so that we know that we're not uh, coming out of Babylon and going into another part of Babylon. We're going to come into God's true church. So it's important for us to know the attributes of God's church so that we don't jump from one frying pan into another, uh, in essence, which is my experience, in my experience, happens too frequently in the Second Advent Movement. People jump from a fallen organization right into another fallen organization, and when that doesn't uh, pan out, then they return to you know, uh, a fallen organization, and round and round they go on the carousel of Babylon. Now, one of the ten identifying attributes of the church that uh, I just went through is that it stands upon the foundation of truth, and especially present truth, which is, again, the three angels' messages there of uh, chapter 14 of Revelation. So I'm going to speak about this characteristic of the true church in this message that I've entitled, again, Standing Fast. So if you have, you know, paper and pencil, you know, it'd be good to take notes as well. Now, friends, the the prophecies in Revelation 13 and 14 are very clear that in the very last days of this earth's history, there's going to be... Uh, worldwide religious legislation. Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 13, beginning with verse 15. It says, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now when he talks about speaking and causing, he's talking about legislating laws and enforcing those laws. So speaking would be uh, uh, legislating a law and cause, he's going to cause people to obey that law, see? So he says as many as that would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Verse 16, and he causeth all, both great and a small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. 
Now, in the previous verses, it's predicted that the earth will be deceived by this power and that it will pass legislation regulating how worship is to be conducted. And all who refuse to worship according to these laws will be prohibited by or sell. Eventually, a death decree will be added to this law, as we've just read. Now, while studying the Bible, we find over and over again, friends, that the the devil uses tactics in an effort to trick or... or uh, uh, coerce one's conscience. But you know something else? You, you look through the Bible, you find that God never forces our will. He never uh, coerces our conscience. So you see a, a polar opposite there. Notice what the Lord says to the inhabitants of this world in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22 and verse 17. That's Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, I really like that part, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. What does that mean, and whosoever will? It's a free offer. This is a free offer. Salvation is offered in the Bible as a free gift. But friends, it's only to those who want it. To those who are willing to, to comply with the conditions. Those who accept the conditions uh, by faith. And the conditions are mentioned right in this very same chapter. If you uh, turn back, go back a few verses... Go back to verse 14. Notice what it says. It says, Blessed are they that do His commandments. This is key. We're going to find a difference here between God's people and and uh, uh, the people who think they're following God, but they are not. A part of Bab- they are actually a part of Babylon. We're going to find a distinct difference here. And he says, blessed are they that do his commandments. Speaking of God, they do God's commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life. That's always amazed me. That by being faithful and being overcomer, and you're given the the strength to, to overcome sin, and the grace to do it, you will have a right to the tree of life. That's what it says right here. That they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. That's talking about the new Jerusalem. And notice verse 15, because this is where you find the difference between the two groups, the Church of Christ, the true Church of Christ, the remnant of God, and the Church of Antichrist, those who belong to that that church, or or spiritual Babylon, as uh, prophecy refers to it. Verse 15 says, For without, that is, without the gates of the city, are dogs and sorcerers, and whoremongers. Now, it's very interesting. Again, we're, we're looking at a difference here. First group was those that do his commandments. But notice this second group. They are those who break the commandments. Because a, a whoremonger are those who break the seventh commandment. Okay? And it says, and murderers. Those are the ones who break the sixth commandment. And idolaters. Well, those are people who break the second commandment. You know, uh, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, he says, those break the ninth commandment. See? And so, we find here, just in, in these two verses, 
that at the end, the end of time, it'll it will be the commandment keepers on the inside of the holy city, and those who break the commandments will be on the outside of the holy city. And friends, I have to tell you, uh, it's been recorded very simply, very plainly, uh, actually very clearly in the book of Revelation. So even a child can understand this. There is a difference between the two. And remember, I've already said, the Bible tells us there really, when you boil it down, there are only two churches. Now, there may be many different organizations, but those organizations, in one way or another, are going to belong to one side or the other. You understand what I mean by that? So there's only two groups. There's only two churches. And here in Revelation 22, it even at the end of the Bible, it's giving us the difference here between these two groups. And so... We find that God never forces a man's will or his conscience. But what he does is he gives an invitation uh, to all to be subjects of his government and to be loyal to the government of heaven. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest and I'll give you peace. I'll forgive and remove the guilt of sin and I'll cleanse you. I will give you strength to never sin again. If you accept me as your Lord and Savior. You know, many people... Uh, they'll accept Jesus as a Savior, but they have a hard time with accepting Him as their Lord. But you have to do both. He won't be your Savior without being your Lord as well. Now Satan, on the other hand, he constantly resorts to deception. I mean, he is called, all through the Bible you find this, he's called the deceiver. What did he do in the very beginning? He deceived our first parents. And so he's repeatedly called a deceiver and a liar. Jesus called him the father of lies, even John chapter 8. So if Satan fails in his attempt to deceive or seduce, what does he do? Does he give up? No. His next step is to compel by coercion or by cruelty. And that's exactly what we read in Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 to 17, see? He's going to speak and cause. If you don't receive his mark, you're going to be killed. There's a death decree. So, you know, eventually, friends, laws will be made to put to death any who refuse to worship in accordance with the laws of men that are contrary to the laws of God. And at first, those who are faithful to God, well, they're not going to be able to buy or sell. That's the way he starts out. He's going to try to bribe you. He's going to try to uh, sanction you. See, and this, and this is what he, what he does. He's going to say, well, unless you have this mark, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. So, you know, if you're in a situation like that, I mean, how will these people feed their families? How will they have clothes and, and food and, and shelter, transportation or anything else if they are unable to buy or sell? But let's say that, you know, by the grace of God, and, and I'm telling you, God's giving us heads up here so that we can get out of the cities, we can live in the countries, we can have gardens, we can become as self-sustaining as we possibly can for just such this time. 
So let's say we're out there and we're able, by God's grace, we we are we don't have to buy and sell. We are being sustained. And so you, the devil sees that, well, that's not working. And if that law fails to make us, you know, as a group of people and uh, individuals that worship the beast, what's the next step? Well, we read there in Revelation 13, it says eventually there will be a death decree that will be established. It says that in verse 15. So you see, you see the the contrast between God's character and the character of the devil. Through fear or force, Satan endeavors to rule a person's conscience and to secure homage to himself. That's always the way it's been. To accomplish this, he's studied the past. He's worked over and over again through both religious and secular uh, authorities. You you can go through history. You see this. It's like he's been trying to hone his skills, see. And it's going to pay off. He's going to use everything he's learned for this final battle. Because Revelation 13 says that. He's, he will do exactly the same uh, in the future as he's done in the past. And he'll move upon religious and secular authorities to make and enforce human laws that are in defiance of the law of God. And his representative, Rome, the Church of Rome, they've always done that since um, they've been established. They use the state to enforce their their dogma. And this is what we read about here in Revelation 13. We know that this religious legislation is in defiance of the law of God because it enforces the mark of the beast, the worship of the image of the beast. Now, in Revelation chapter 14, beginning with, with uh, oh, beginning with verse 9, Revelation chapter 14, notice what we read here, verse, beginning with verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, that means with no mercy, friends. It's poured out without any mercy into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So we see that liberty of conscience... Uh, will be trampled upon. We've been warned about what's going to happen here in these prophecies. Revelation 13, now in the to Revelation 14, and this is the third angel's message. It's a warning to, to us as God's people that we need to be preparing for this time. And we do not want to receive the mark of the beast. You know, when you think about liberty of conscience, you know, it's been bought at a high cost, uh, a sacrifice that you and I really, I don't think, can comprehend completely. The people of the United States of America have liberty of conscience as a result, my friends, of, of people who fled from persecution in Europe and other places. And they said, you know, we're going to have a government where people have civil 
and religious liberty. There's never been a government like that on earth, really. Uh, unless you go back to ancient Israel. That was God's ideal for his people uh, of Israel. But it was a uh, theocracy. We no longer have that. But here they said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a, a nation of laws and encapsulated within those laws is going to be civil and religious liberty for every individual. And this was what was uh, prophesied. We read, and, and when you understand Revelation 13 and speaking about this country and how this country came up, and, and that it, it came up as kind of like a lamb-like uh, country, but will speak as a dragon. And this is, we're in the part of the prophecy now, friends, we'll, where this country's speaking as a dragon, see. Because today, I mean, here in the United States, we have political corruption. Not just in the United States, but around the world. But uh, speaking about our country. And this political corruption is destroying, I believe, the love of justice and the regard for truth. So that people are to the place where they want security um, more than they want freedom. Isn't that true? We see it all the time. And so we're going to see the prophet's words exemplified in the soon coming conflict that is predicted here in these chapters of Revelation 13 and 14. Now if we back up uh, a little bit and we look at Revelation chapter 12, let's go there, Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> Revelation 12 and verse 17, we'll go roll right into Revelation 13 verse 1, just a second here. But Revelation 12 and verse 17 says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Now who's the dragon again? The dragon is Satan, right? And the woman speaking that's being spoken of here is God's church, his remnant church. It says, The dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God. Here are these characteristics. They keep the commandments of God. They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you go to Revelation 13.1, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, in other words, the devil had almost all the world's population on his side. And it describes this beast rising out of the sea. Now we know uh, by definitions here, this, this is symbolic, and, and the water represents nations and tongues and people. So the devil will have most all the world on his side as we read this. The vast majority of the world is going to be on the devil's side. Now the deception is that they're going to think that they're actually on God's side. Okay, but they're not on God's side. So most of them are on the devil's side. Now, let me ask you something, friends. What are you going to do in such a time as that? I mean, are, are you going to be deceived along with the majority, or are you going to read the Word of God and say, you know, I'm going to be obedient to the law of God, and I'm going to live in harmony with that law. Is that what you're going to say? You remember what Jesus said to the devil? He said in Matthew 4 and verse 4, He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. After Jesus had 
uh, he'd fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, and he was literally, friends, he was starving to death. He still held to the position that he would not go contrary to the word of God, not even to provide food for himself, which is one of our most basic necessities. It's a necessity of life. You have to eat. Jesus here, he fasted 40 days. He's, he's starving. He's wasted away to nothing. And the devil comes and tempts him, you know, with bread. You can turn these stones into bread. And he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And by faith, you see, he stood firm. Now, I want you to think about it. How is it with you and I? What is our position on the word of God and the law of God? Are we loyal to the commandments of God and to the government of God? Or will we be deceived by the the miracles worked through people receiving manifestation of spirits? You know, this spiritualism. Are we going to be deceived by it? Well, friends, there is only one class of people who will stand and not be deceived by the final deceptions that will take the whole world captive. And they're pointed out in Isaiah 8.20. That's just one place. But let's look at that. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. I think we're very familiar with this. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And so here in Isaiah, he directs men to the word of God as the standard of truth and the guide to right living. This is what he's saying. Because God has revealed himself in his word and he has preserved that word through thousands of years, friends, for us who live down here. And as we look at the signs of the times, we know that we're very near the the second coming of Jesus. And so God has revealed himself in his word. And whatever men may speak that is not in harmony with that word, as Isaiah says, they have no light in it. There's no truth to it, you see. Now, the law is the law of God. It says to the law and to the testimony. So, it's talking about the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, and to the testimony. That's the testimony of the rest of the inspired writings through the prophets. So, the Word of God is the final authority. It's the final test to know whom to believe. Uh, to to know what to practice, to be on God's side in this great controversy between Christ and Satan. So you see, friends, it's, it's not whether you, you go along with miracles or, or religious legislation or anything like that. The question and or test Is and the, when I say final conflict, I'm talking about the conflict between truth and error. Uh, what's going to provide security for that is the Word of God, the law of God. See the the law and testimony, as Isaiah eight twenty tells us. If they speak not according to that, there's no truth in it. See, that's the test. That's the security we have. We have have to have faith. In God's word. That's what Jesus said when, with the, again, the temptation of Satan. He said, it is written. 
So we're to test the spirits, you see, or those uh, the people seek for guidance. We need to test them to see if they are in harmony with God's law. That's the, that's the question Isaiah asks. Is it in harmony with God's law, and is it in harmony with the Bible, the testimony of God's prophets? If it's not in harmony with God's law, and where do we find the law? Well, one place is in Exodus chapter 20. You know, verses 3 to 17. You get the, the Ten Commandments right there. If it's not in harmony with that, there's no light in it, and it's not on God's side. See? Psalms 119 verse 105 tells us, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's the light. The light is God's word. So if there's no light, then the spirit is an evil one. It's a fallen spirit. One of the devil's angels, possibly. So any miracle done or command made not according to the word cannot be trusted, friends, because the devil's a liar. And he's a deceiver. And his policy has been deception from the first and it'll continue to be his policy to the very last. The only protection for us, the only safeguard for us against the influence of false teachers or or the um, delusive power of the spirits of darkness, according to Isaiah 20, are the scriptures. I can't emphasize it enough. That's what we have to stand upon, you see. We need to stand fast on God's word. The truth. The truth of God's word is to be our foundation. And only an intelligent knowledge of the word of God, or the scriptures, will provide a safeguard against deception. And it will enable you to evaluate the miracles that, that we're going to see, friends, and the teachings, and recognize the devices the devil uses to deceive the world. It's the only thing that will keep us from being deceived. You see, the devil knows very well that the Bible shows him for who he is. He knows that. And so for this reason, he's devised many distractions to keep God's people from gaining a knowledge from, from His Word. I mean, like, every possible device has been invented to keep men and women occupied, to keep them entranced and busy so they don't obtain that crucial knowledge of what's found in God's Word. And we were given a heads up, and Daniel says, knowledge shall be, shall be increased. That's a knowledge of the Scriptures, but when we get an increase of knowledge from God, the devil comes up with more and more uh, distractions to keep us away from that, if at all possible. Like I said, he knows that. The devil knows that the plain utterances of the Bible reveal his deceptions. And in every revival of God's work, you've seen, you can read about it through Bible history. The prince of evil is aroused to more intense activity, and right now he's putting forth his utmost efforts for a final struggle against Christ and his followers because he knows, friends, that his time is about to run out. Let me share this with you. This is from the book, The Great Controversy, page 593. The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. 
so closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. You see, it's only through the Holy Scriptures that a person will be able to tell the difference between what's true and what is false. So friends, we need to be in the study of God's Word. We need to be taking God's Word and putting it in our memory. We need to be memorizing Scripture. Because one day they may take that Bible away. You know, they did during the Dark Ages. In fact, that's why they called it the Dark Ages. And one thing about counterfeits, you know, the counterfeit will appear so much like the true that most of the people in this world will think that they are experiencing the most wonderful revival and reformation that's ever been. But the Bible lays out that they're going to be deceived. They're the ones that are deceived. Like I said earlier, the majority of the world is going to be following the devil, thinking they're following God. That's what they did to Jesus. They put him to death, thinking that they were doing God's service, friends. And during this time, those who endeavor to keep all the commandments of God will be opposed. They'll be derided. And so, every testimony, uh, every miracle, needs to be tested by the, by the testimony of the Scriptures. And it's only going to be possible to stand in a time like that if you're standing in the power of God. If you have His Word. Let me share this with you again from the Great Controversy. Uh, pages... 593-594 The people of God are directed to the Scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive power of spirits of darkness. Notice this. This is very important. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. So, it's our safeguard. We test everything to the Scriptures, and we have to fortify our mind with the truths that we find in the Scriptures. And as she says, the only people who are going to be able to stand through that this last great conflict between the Church of Christ and the Church of Antichrist are going to be those who have fortified their minds with the truth. And of course, you do that by faith. The Holy Spirit helps you to develop this love of the truth. And as you bring that truth into your mind, because essentially right now the battle, the spiritual battle that's going on right now is for our minds. The devil wants to control our minds and he attacks us through our senses. See, those these distractions and, and through our senses. So that we may be controlled by our passions instead of reason. And God communicates to us through our mind. So that the higher power of the mind has control of the passions. And that's what we need to have. By grace, we'll, we'll be fortifying our mind with the scriptures in preparation for this final conflict. So that we can stand. That we can stand fast. I challenge you, friends, to study your Bible and spirit of prophecy today. Find out what the Bible says. 
Take these truths and fortify your mind with it. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. Notice what Peter says. He says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, and I really love this promise, he says, ye shall never fall. Never fall. We need to, to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. It means we need to study the Word. We need to, to have our mind fortified. We do that, we shall never fall. This is what Peter says. Verse 11, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, in this conflict, before it's all said and done, you realize, friends, that to every soul, to every person, there's going to be asked a close, searching um, test question. And the test question is simply, am I going to obey the laws of God as revealed in His Word? Or am I going to obey the laws of men when they contradict the law of God? That's what it is. That's the test question. And I'll tell you that the decisive hour is is very near. It's very near. Are your feet planted on the unchangeable Word of God? Are you prepared to stand fast in defense of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus? You need to think about it, friends. Now's the time. We've been given an opportunity to prepare. Are you preparing for this final battle? Are you preparing to be able to stand fast? The third angel's message, it closes telling of the people who go through this time of test and trial, and and it says that they come out victorious. Notice what it says there, Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. These are character traits of that church of Christ, that remnant. And when you read through Revelation, I mean, John, he was called the Revelator, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, <laughs> is what it is. But he has pointed out a time of worldwide lawlessness for which God will judge the world and send the sinners to destruction. This is what it's about. I mean, the Bible's very clear, friends. I mean, whether you're reading out of the, um, the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's very clear that this world is going to be destroyed at the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming. And the, the mass of world population will be caught in deliberate violation and disobedience to the law of God. Just as it was, if you, you think back, just as it was before the flood in Noah's time. The people who don't receive the mark of the beast and don't worship his image are described as people who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. That's what is being described there in Revelation fourteen twelve. And my question that I think about, actually quite often, and I'll, pay, I'll pose it to you, is, am I going to be in that number? 
Are we as a people going to be in that number? You know, it's really, sometimes we we just have a hard time uh, understanding some of the things of the Bible or the times that we're living in. And it was the same when the the, uh, disciples, Jesus was here. You know, several times in the Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus told his disciples what would happen to him when he went to Jerusalem. For example, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. If you go on to Matthew chapter 20, look at verses 18 and 19. He said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now we understand it because it happened. <laughs> See? And we can look back in the past, we say, Well, what happened? And we can read this, you know, these statements, and we well, of course he's going to die. But present truth for other time is he's there telling them they had a hard time with this. The Bible says that when he told them this, they were exceedingly sorry. In fact, they were so sorry about it that they couldn't accept it. Because, you see, they just couldn't believe it. And many people today believe that the whole world is going to be converted. I run into that. But that's not taught in the Bible. In fact, it says just the opposite. The world is going to be converted to worship the Antichrist. Now, they're going to believe that they're worshiping Christ, but it's not the real one, you see. And the disciples, they were, they were deluded by the teachings of popular theology in their time. They thought Jesus was going to give you know, a, a temporal dominion to the children of Israel that he was going to come and they were going to get victory over the Roman government, their oppressors, and he was going to sit on the throne of David. So they couldn't tolerate the thought that he was going to die this disgraceful death. But you know, friends, when the time came, exactly what Jesus had told them happened. And the words that they needed to remember were somehow banished from their minds. And when the time of trial came, it found them unprepared. The death of Jesus has fully destroyed their hopes, friends, as if he had not forewarned them of what was going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, in the same way, in the same way, in the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation, the future of our world and what is going to happen just before the end of the world is opened up to us just as plainly as what Jesus told his disciples was going to happen to him. But these events connected with the close of probation and the truths um, concerning the time of trouble that's coming upon us, even though they are clearly presented in the Bible, they are just as misunderstood. There are multitudes of people in the world today that have no more understanding of these things than if they were not even recorded in Bible prophecy. 
And what's going on? Satan's watching. He's seen all this. He's watching to catch away the truth, to catch away every impression that would make you wise unto salvation so that the time of trouble will find you unready, unprepared, just as the disciples were. Though we've been warned well in advance, friends. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about the fact that when God sends to men warnings that are so important that they're represented really as being presented by angels flying in the midst of heaven, as you see in Revelation chapter 14, that God requires every person who has reason to pay attention to what He's trying to warn us about? the fearful judgments that are pronounced in the three angels' messages against the worship of the beast and his image, against Babylon, should lead every Christian to, to diligently study the scriptures to learn what this mark is, what this image is, how to avoid receiving it. But what really is going on, friends? The, the masses of people turn away their ears from hearing the truth. And as the Bible says, they're turned to fables. Couple that with all the deceptions that abound, and, and they're deceived. And even this was predicted. The Apostle Paul predicted that this would happen. Notice what, notice what he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He was looking down to the last days, and he, he wrote this to Timothy. Beginning with, with verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That means we just want teachers who tell us what we want to hear. See, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. See, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. He's predicting that this would happen in the future. And it has happened. It's sad. It's heart-wrenching, friends, because I talk to people. I try to share the gospel. But the multitudes today, they don't want Bible truth. And they don't want it because it interferes with the desires of their sinful, world-loving hearts. And Satan, I mean, he provides them the deceptions that they love so that they can have an easy religion and they can go to heaven sitting down, as I've heard someone say before. I mean, would you like to be one of God's people, one of His children in these last days? God is looking for a people on the earth who will maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. That's what he wants. That's what he's looking for. The opinions of learned men. Oh, beloved, they're not good enough. You know why? Because they are still just men. The deductions of science are not good enough. 
I mean, the deductions of, of science have been proved false over and over again in the past. That's not good enough for a final authority, especially on religious things. What about the creeds and the decisions of ecclesiastical councils? I'll tell you what, beloved. If the founders of many of the churches of today were to come back from the dead, they'd be astonished at the changes from Bible doctrine that has taken places in churches that bear their names. John Wesley wouldn't be caught in the Methodist church today. Wouldn't happen. Martin Luther, he wouldn't recognize the Lutherans. No, the creeds and decisions of ecclesiastical councils are as numerous and discordant as the churches that they represent. What about the voice of the majority? Can't, can't we just trust the majority? That's what you run into a lot today. Well, the majority can't be wrong. Well, the Bible tells me that the seventh day is the Sabbath. But the majority of Christendom worships on the first day of the week. You can't find any hint of it in Scripture, but you can't convince people because they're, con- they're in their mind, they believe, well, the majority can't be wrong. Well, friends, if you're really honest and you go through history, you find that the majority have been wrong much more than the minority throughout history. I mean, a study of religious history real, reveals what it was like in the days of Jesus. The majority has been wrong over and over again. In fact, almost every time. Because the devil is a deceiver, you see, and he deceives the whole world. That's the majority. So what should be the final authority as evidence for or against any point of religious faith? Well, before accepting any doctrine or teaching, the question you need to ask is, is there a plain, thus saith the Lord, in support of this doctrine or teaching? I mean, that's not too hard of a question to require, is it? I mean, the Apostle Paul, he was teaching the truth to people who didn't know a lot about it. And he actually commended them. In Acts 17.11, notice he says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So the Apostle Paul, he preached the gospel to people, and they decided to check him out. And I'll tell you the same thing about me. Check me out. Check me out against God's word, and see if I'm telling the truth or teaching fables. If you find that I'm teaching error, please let me know. Because I want to teach and preach the truth, friends. So these people back here in Paul's time, they didn't just accept it because Paul said it. Because Paul was a human being. These people in Berea said, you know, we're going to find out if what the Apostle Paul's teaching is really true. We're going to check the Bible against what he's teaching. So they started searching the scriptures every day to find out if what the Apostle Paul taught about the Messiah was really true. And for doing that, doing their due diligence, as Peter says, the Apostle Paul, he commended them. And the Bible tells us, friends, that God is going to have a people in the last days, He's going to have a church in the last days, 
who maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all the reforms. And like I said, before accepting any doctrine or precept or teaching, we should demand a plain, and I mean a plain, thus saith the Lord in its support. And if the Lord doesn't say so, really, friends, when it comes down to it, what confidence can you have in it? Even the Apostle Paul commended the people who checked him out to see, is this really what the Word of God says? In John 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What will set us free from the deceptions of the devil? What sets us free from sin? Jesus here. The word of God. If ye continue in my word, is what Jesus said? And not only does it set us free, but it turns us into a disciple of the Lord when faithfully obeyed. We become a a walking epistle of the righteous and loving character of Jesus. Friends, I ask you, what side of the great controversy are we going to be on as we approach the end of the world? Are we near the end? Yes, we are. Are we prepared for the final battle? Well, we're still here. Are we willing to give all up for Jesus? Friends, I, I can't tell you enough, we are on the very doorstep of the time of trouble. Now is the time to be more dedicated, more prayerful, more studious and, and, and more loving to all. Now is the time to stand fast our profession of faithfulness. And the only way that we can overcome the devil and refuse to receive his mark is to choose Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When you do that, you'll stand for the truth for Jesus is the truth. And that's a characteristic of his remnant church, his church, true church. And by putting our trust in Him and and daily walking with Him in His Word and in speaking to Him in our prayers, we can stand prepared to be victorious when it appears that all have forsaken us. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, as he said to the church at Corinth, he said, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, Quit you like men. Be strong. Always remember that when all looks hopeless and lost, we have Jesus, friends, and all heaven on our side. We may appear to be by ourselves, but we're never alone. Trust Jesus, for He's overcome the devil's deceptions, friends. Stand fast, upon the Word of God and be saved. Be a member of His true church. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You so very, very much for Your Holy Word, for the truth that You've shared with us who live here. 
that live here down at the end of time, just before Jesus is to come. Father, we pray for the grace we need to be prepared for that time in this battle where we we need to stand. We need to stand fast upon the truth. And in order to do that, we need to know the truth. So please, Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to help us to study our Bibles, to understand the truth, to be able to discern truth from error. For there are a lot of false prophets and teachers. May we be good Bereans and check out what we hear against your holy word, against your law, and the testimony. And above all, Father, may we be found faithful when Jesus comes. We may hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Please, Father, continue to be with us throughout the Holy Sabbath day and in the coming days ahead till we we can meet together again and worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in the blessed name of Jesus who is so worthy. Amen.